Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our next-gen pastor, Myron Jellison, for this week's message. Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, so glad that you're here. And man, I just before we dive in, I just want to like, we're reading the book of Mark, and we're going through this journey, and we see Jesus doing all these miracles. But dude, I think one of the crazy miracles that just happened like yesterday or a few days ago was they floated a bridge down the Ohio River. Like, how is that even possible? I feel like a bunch of engineers got together, like, you know what can never be done? Floating a bridge down the river to put it in. West Virginia said, hold my beer and watch. Sit back and watch the show. They did it. It was incredible. I watched the drone, aerial footage. Unbelievable. The skills, the technology, and the equipment to be able to make that happen has nothing to do with my message today. Just thought it was cool, and it was awesome to watch that. Hope you watched it. Go back and watch it. There's videos out there. So we're going through this book of Mark, and we're looking at the the, the story of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his miracles, his teachings, and I just want to give us a little bit of a a kind of a catch-up real quick, because some of you OCD people might have noticed that we kind of skipped a little section of the scripture, a little bit of a mix-up in teaching dates, not a big deal, but we kind of skipped over a section of scripture. And so two weeks ago, Chris Figueredi unpacked the hurricane that kind of blew up on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was asleep in the boat. The disciples are freaking out. They went to the extreme of like, yo, we're about to die. Jesus, save us. So Jesus is asleep. Was he asleep? I don't know. Go back and watch it. And uh, he kind of wakes up, speaks to the waves and the wind, and it stops, silences. And then they land on a, they land on a shoreline on, the, on, on the side, one side of the Sea of Galilee, and that's where they're faced with the demoniac. And kind of Chris Dew, last week kind of talked about how they had an encounter with the demoniac, and he healed the man and cast those demons out into pigs. And then he was, he was pushed away. He said, they said, get out of here. And so they got in a boat, and they went back across the Sea of Galilee, and they landed on shore. And that's where Chris Dew, last week, unpacked where he healed the woman with the bleeding disorder, and uh, he resurrected a, a young child girl back to life. So we're going to go back and we're going to we're going to look at the encounter where Jesus shows up on the shoreline where the demon possessed man is, where he casts those demons out into a herd of pigs, and that's the section of scripture we're going to look at today. And just know that this happens right after Jesus calms the storm. It's on that journey. He calms the storm. He speaks to the wind and the waves. They immediately obey him. The disciples marvel in the boat of like, "Oh my gosh." Then they land on shore. And they have this supernatural interaction of Jesus, the Son of God, and this demon-possessed man on the shoreline. And so where they end up after the storm and where they're ending up and where they kind of land on shore is in a region called the Decapolis. And the Decapolis is just basically 10 cities that kind of formed like an alliance. I don't know how formal it was, but it was kind of like they would trade with each other. They'd share goods and services and they kind of had like a peace treaty. They weren't going to like fight each other and and all that. So they kind of had their good little thing going with 10 cities. And I think about the Decapolis like right here on the banks of the Ohio River. We got Shadyside, Wheeling, Martins Ferry, Bridgeport, Warwood, Wellsburg, McMeckin, Glendale, St. Clairsville, like all these towns and all these little villages right here. It's kind of like our own little Decapolis. And so this is exactly where Jesus uh, and his disciples, they land on the shores of this geographical location. And the, and the Decapolis is predominantly Gentiles. So they're no, they're no longer, and that's why the disciples are like, well, you want us to go over here? Like, let's stay where we're comfortable. Let's stay with our, our people over here. But no, like, we're going to cross the sea to the Gentiles, the unclean people, and we're going to go over there 
for a little bit. So they do, and I just want to paint this kind of movie scene for you real quick, okay? A storm just happened, a crazy hurricane on the Sea of Galilee. He calms it, and I, I'm assuming there's a little bit of aftermath of the storm, like still a smog, a fog, a dampness. And just imagine this, like a, like a great horror film. If you're into horror films, picture this. There's a boat, small little boat, rowing, coming out. It's foggy, you can't really see. They're approaching a shoreline that's rocky, jagged, mountains. There's tombs carved out and, and, and where the dead people would be. And there's trees with no, uh, no leaves and just looks dead and overgrown and brush and thorns. And, and it's just this scene and, and the boat starts to creep in and it lands on the shore. And all of a sudden, there's this individual, this person, and we're gonna call him Demon Dan. He's the guy who's got the demon inside him. He's been possessed by the demon. And what the scripture says is that as soon as they came to the other side of the sea, Matthew 5, verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of Gerasenes. I can't say that word, Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs, on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. The fog, the smog, the boat trickles in to the rocky shoreline. And there's a guy that has sharpened rocks into arrowheads probably and he's just carving and cutting himself. Blood is dripping down the front of him. He has scars all over his body. His wrists and his ankles had been shackled and he breaks out. There's scars and bruising. His hair is matted. His beard is long. He's just a wreck. He's probably completely naked. He's crying out and screaming in pain as he mutilates and self-harms himself. And all of a sudden, we have this kind of, the, the scene change where Jesus lands on his beach out in the tombs where he'd been outcast, where he'd been driven because no one wanted to be around him. He was among the unclean tombs and there's swine on the hillside, pigs, which are considered unclean in the Jewish culture. He was out where nobody really wanted to be and he's self-mutilating and harming himself and he's just a mess. And he's about to have an interaction with Jesus. And the first point I wanna make is that Satan, he wants to distort and destroy the image of God. And we look at Demon Dan and we see evidence of distress, distorting, and destruction of God's creation of a human being. Now, I'm not saying that every form of self-harm or self-destruction or you know, uh, you know, self-harm behavior, self-destructive behavior is demonic possessed or caused by Satan. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that the evil that exists in our world and the devil, Satan, is the, is the, is the coordinator of that. He's, he's ruler of this earth. And sin is the thing that plagues all of us. There's evil in our world. And what happens is the devil likes to tempt us and Satan likes to work in a way in which tempts us to destroy and harm and distort the image of God. And that looks like in your mental health, being fearful, anxious, depressed, worrisome, 
that looks like you, uh, you know, our world and, and, and sexual, sexual, sexualization of our culture, like sexual, you know, same-sex attraction becoming normalized and, and homosexuality becoming normalized and all of these different things about marriage and, and the household and the way in which a home should be run and organized and the way in which God designed and, and, and wanted it to be, our entire world is being distorted and that image of God is being distorted and ripped apart and Satan is the one behind all this. He's the author of confusion. He wants to deceive us and he wants to rip apart what God had designed. And we see this in Demon Dan. He's ripping apart the very flesh, his very creation, his very mental health, his very being. And I know it's demonic possession, but I think for you and I, we do the same thing. We have self-destructive behavior in our health, our mental health, in our relationships, in our life. There's sin, there's pain, there's scars, there's struggles that exist. And Satan is the one who's kind of maybe coordinating all of that in our society, in our world. And so Satan wants to destroy and distort the image of God and what he says and how he designed it and his purpose was for all of humanity. That's his MO. That's the devil's MO. And so Demon Dan, he sees Jesus from afar in verse 6. I, I feel like it's like this. Like Demon Dan perks up, like smells the air, like, oh, who's here? Who's coming? And he knows it's someone powerful. He knows it's not just a normal person because Satan knows exactly who Jesus is. Demons know exactly who Jesus is. And he's thinking, how dare they come to my beach? How dare they? Who has the audacity to show up on my beach? And so he, he's, he sees him from afar and he ran and he fell down before him. I could just picture this movie scene, man. The camera's bouncing around. Demon Dan's just getting it, sprinting through the thicket and the thorns, ripping his flesh. He has no care for himself. He's running at Jesus. And I think that the disciples probably see this man coming, and they're in the back of the boat like, oh, my gosh. Jesus, you can get out there, but I'm staying right here, bro. Like, let's just go. Let's get out of here. I don't want nothing to do with that. Even though Jesus just spoke to the hurricane and said, be calm, and it did. And then they see this, and they're like, nope. Mm-mm, not for me. Jesus, you, that's you, bro, all by yourself out there. And Demon Dan throws himself down at the feet of Jesus in verse 7 and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? He knows exactly who he is. He knows exactly who he is. And he says, I adjure you by God, do not torment. I beg you, do not torment me. For he was saying, Jesus was saying, come out of this man, you unclean spirit. Jesus is trying to perform an exorcism. He's trying to get the demon out of him. And so there's this spiritual battle, this spiritual warfare that's taking place right in front of the disciples in the back of the boat, watching this all play out. It's like a Hollywood movie almost. And Jesus asked him, as he's trying to cast it out, he's asked, he's asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And so this is a spiritual battle that's happening between Jesus, the son of the most high God, and a demon-possessed man. There is spiritual warfare that is taking place right here. And his name is Legion. And Legion, in Roman culture, this would have been understood, especially for the disciples that are watching this take place. And, and for Jesus to call out, what is your name, would probably be so the disciples could see the, the magnitude of what was going to happen. Because legion means 6,000 men. In the Roman military, you weren't called a legion in the Roman military until your crew or your, your unit was 6,000 men. So did he actually have 6,000 exact demons inside of him? Not exactly sure. But the significant, the amount, the size, the magnitude, it's, it's, it's big. They are many. 
And I picture this. I think of like a WWE battle royale happening. When I think about Jesus and spiritual warfare, I want to see choke slams, body slams, and like I want to see some like fight, like a scuffle. That's what I think in my brain. So I think of this. I think of like a WWE battle where there's like 60 people in the ring. They're going at it. Jesus in the 12 and, and, and the legion. They're all fighting. They're body slamming, choke slamming each other. But that's really not how spiritual warfare works. Jesus with mere words is going to be able to cast out 6,000 demons. He's going to be able to take care of legion. In my mind, it's not a fair fight. Like when I think about the spiritual warfare, it's not a fair fight. The devil, Satan, has no chance. Demons have no chance against Jesus. He can speak mere words and they obey him and they follow his instruction to get out, to be gone. And this kind of, I think about the fair fight idea. There was a birthday party and there was like seven, eight-year-olds running around, bunch of inflatables, padded floor. So I'm like picking fights, you know, I'm playing with kids and picking fights. And all of a sudden, next thing I know, I got seven or eight kids, seven or seven, eight-year-olds tying to tackle me. And I'm like, get off of me. You see what kind of a specimen I am? Get off of me. Like, you can't take me. And then I finally let them tackle me and then I can still get up. I can still, man, I can still, man, it's not a fair fight. Even though there's a many of them, it's not a fair fight until one kid kind of kicked me in the you know where and it kind of took me down for a minute, but that was a low blow. But it's not a fair fight. And so Jesus and, and, and Demon Dan and Jesus and Legion, I see this, it's not a fair fight. Jesus can speak it and he's about to and saying, be gone, get out of him. And the demons obey him and they leave the man. And what I want to plant in your brain is, do you know who's in your corner? If you follow Jesus... Do you know the power that you have in your corner against legion, against 6,000? Whatever your demons are, whatever your struggles are, whatever your pain is, whatever the anxiety and the depression and the mental health that you're struggling, whatever the sexual sin or temptation that you have, whatever it is for you in your life, do you know who's in your corner and on your team and can speak mere words and there can be healing and progress and restoration in that and forgiveness? Do you know who's on your team? In the WWE Battle Royale, do you know who's in your boat? We just saw that a couple weeks ago. Do you know who's on your team? It's not a fair fight. And so Demon Dan, Legion, says, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out into the country. Now a great herd of pigs was, was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Apparently, pigs can't swim. The herdsmen, like literally, this is like the original Bay of Pigs evasion. I wonder if that's where they got it in the song. I don't think, I think it was from Cuba, whatever. But this is like the OG Bay of Pigs invasion. It's crazy. Like, it's just wild to me. 2,000 pigs. And so then the herdsmen, they're going to go run and they're going to go tell what had just happened. In verse 14, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And herdsmen, overwatching flocks or, or you know, groups of pigs or sheep or something, typically were young, young boys. So I imagine these young herdsmen, 11, 12, 13, young teenage boys watching these pigs. They see what just goes down on the beach with the demons, with the pigs, plunging off and dying in the water. Absolutely wild. So they run. 
back to their master, back to, their, back to the person who owned those pigs. And probably out of breath, like, bro, you're not going to believe it. We lost some pigs. All right, you know, you lost a couple of pigs. No big deal. Did a coyote get in? Did you lose one? Not a big deal. No, bro, we lost all 2,000 of them. Wait, 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 wait. You lost all 2,000 of my pigs? How? Like, they're not even that fast. Like, were they all greased up? You couldn't catch them? Like, like how did you lose 2,000 pigs? And so I'm sure the owner who lost, that was, you got to think about this. That was an incredible amount of wealth in that culture. That was a significant chunk of someone's wealth that was gone. And so they're probably ticked off and mad saying, what, what did this guy do? He, he just cost me that much money? So they're mad, they're stomping out, they come out to see for themselves what had actually happened. And when they arrive down at the beach where Jesus and his disciples and demon Dan are, they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had legion sitting there. He's clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They're like, yo, this is the guy that like ripped through our community and we couldn't subdue him or tie him up or shackle him. Like this dude was out of his mind and crazy. And now he's sitting there completely in his right mind, clothed. Scars are covered up. And they were afraid. And those who had seen what had happened, they described, I'm sure the herdsmen are still there telling the story again. The disciples are telling the story. They're having this big conversation on the beach. They're describing what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They said, Jesus, we don't want you here. That kind of Harry Potter sorcery, exorcism crap is not welcome here. We're comfortable in our decapitalists with our trade, our agreements, our wealth, our pleasure, our success. We're okay with it. And guess what, Jesus? We just saw how much you cost me, and we don't want you. We don't like that. And they're begging him, get out of here. And here's the reality. Jesus is going to get in the boat. He's going to row away from them. And here's what I believe about us today. Jesus will row away from you if you don't want him. He will. He's right there knocking and, and trying to reveal himself to you and trying to speak to your heart and make himself known to you and give you the forgiveness that you want. He's right there, but if you reject and say, go, I don't want you, he's gonna get in the boat and he will row away from you if you reject him. And I think another thing in our culture today, Chris Dew, last we talked about, we're comfortable in America. And Chris challenged us to get out of that and go step into some uncomfort and wake up a little bit and let God do something really powerful and profound in your life by getting outside your comfort zone. And I think these people were comfortable. And when they saw the price that was paid for Jesus to follow him, that they said, we're evaluating this, the price is too high, Jesus. The sacrifice is too high for us to follow you. We're going to have to give up too much. And here's what I know, point two, Jesus will, will cost you more than you want to pay. Jesus is going to cost you more than you want to pay. You're going to evaluate it and say, nope, it's not worth it. I'm out. I'm going to choose my way. I'm going to choose my wants. I'm going to choose my desires. I'm going to choose my life. I'm going to choose my dreams and what I want. And the cost is just too much to pay. But the reality is, is Jesus will always cost you more than you want to pay. See, dollars and cents don't make a lot of sense to Jesus when someone's soul's on the line. When Demon Dan is under the oppression and someone's soul was on the line, there is no amount of dollars or cents that makes sense to Jesus in his economy. And I think the reason, one of the reasons that Jesus put, him in, put the demons into the pigs to show the, the, the amount of wealth and the sacrifice that was made so that Dan could be delivered is so the disciples could see that there's no amount of money, there's no level of sacrifice that Jesus isn't going to go to to save someone's soul. 
And Jesus is going to back this up by one day giving up his own life. And you can't put a dollar amount on someone's life. It's invaluable. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to go die. There will be a sacrifice and a payment made so that people's souls could be saved. And I think he's giving an illustration of the magnitude of the sacrifice for a demon Dan's soul to be free, to be forgiven, to be healed, and to be restored. But people look around and say, well, I'm going to have to give up my sexual preference. I'm going to have to give up my wanting to be a different gender. I'm going to have to give up, you know, conducting my business maybe somewhat immorally and not cheating people out so I can gain more wealth. Like, I'm going to have to actually forgive my parents. I'm actually going to have to forgive the person who did the horrific to me. I'm going to have to stop being so angry. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to do this and this and, and cut this out. And there's a price that we are going to have to pay that we are just not willing to pay. And we want to hold on to our life, our wants our desires. And we see, Jesus, what you're calling us to, what your word says, it's too big of a price. And we say, Jesus, get away. We don't want you. And Jesus will get in his boat. He'll row away from you. And so Jesus gets in the boat. And this is the most profound part of the story and where I want to end. He gets in the boat and the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. They're running Jesus and the disciples off the beach. Get out of here. You are not welcome. We don't want you. And Demon Dan's like, well, I I don't really want to go back to that. I want to go with you, Jesus, because what you just did for me. And Demon Dan tries to get in the boat and Jesus is like, no, no. Stay, go home, go to your family, go to your friends, go to your coworkers, go to your community, where you grew up, where you're most known by people and tell them what I have done for you. And this is the first time we see in the book of Mark that Jesus does a miracle and tells the person who he did the miracle for to go and shout it from the rooftops. Typically Jesus before this, before this moment was like, all right, I healed you, I did this. Now don't tell anybody. It's not time yet. It's not time yet. Don't tell anybody. Keep it on the hush hush. But now Jesus is like, go, Dan. Go home and share everything I've done for you and the mercy that I've had on your life. And I think he's calling us to do the same exact thing. Because sometimes when we find Jesus and and we get all fired up and we want to make a difference with our life and be a part of something bigger than ourselves, we immediately think that we can do mission work overseas. We can go to a different part of the country where there's a bigger need, go to Haiti, go to Africa, whatever. And yeah, that's a good thing. And we should absolutely be doing those things. But I think for most of us, he's saying, stay right where you are, right where I have you and tell everyone everything that I've done for you. Everything I've done for you, share it. And the mercy that you received from me, share it with the people right next to you in your own home, in your own community, in your own workplace, on your sports teams of your kids, in the PTA association that you're a part of. Whatever you do in your daily life, in the home, and where you live, share it. Tell people about it. And then my last point is this. Living out faith at home will be the hardest for us. It'll be the hardest for us. It's easy to go somewhere where you're not known and share your testimony, share your story, share how God moved and worked in your life. That's easy to do. 
but it's so hard for us to do it in our own home. And here's the proof, man. It is the hardest for me to pray with my wife. I don't know why it's so uncomfortable and awkward and weird. It just is. I'll pray for anyone, anytime, no matter where it is. But in my own home, it gets hard. I don't know why. It's just the nature of the relationship that I have in my home where I'm so known, I'm so loved, but yet I'm probably held to a higher standard with critical eyes. And it just is hard at home to live out your faith. It's the hardest thing for us. But the second thing is true. Living out your faith at home will be the most real for others. It'll be the most real for others. It's where people get to see the authenticity and transparency of God's love and his goodness and his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace and the fruits of the spirit. Those are exactly in your home where you're most known and you spend the most time with people in your house or in your close circle of friends to where it will be the most real. Your faith will come alive and be the most real for others. And the third thing about that is it'll be the place of greatest impact for you. It'll be the place of greatest impact for you. And here's the reality. Parents, if you got kids, the, the, one of, the, one of the, the, the greatest opportunity that you have as a parent is raising a great kid. And if that's the only thing that you do, that is God's gift to you and opportunity and responsibility. And it's a hefty one. It's a lofty one. It's a scary one. It's a stressful one. It's, it's crazy. I know I'm living in it right now with a four-year-old, almost four, almost two. But if I do nothing else with my life, the greatest thing I can do is raise great kids, to love Jesus and love others. And in my marriage, that, 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 and modeling my marriage in a way in which exemplifies the gospel to the world around me is another opportunity right in my own home where I can have the greatest impact in my community. And the final thing is the third thing, living out our faith at home will be where the death of hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy dies when we live out a genuine, authentic faith at home. Because people see the real you, and then they see the Sunday you, and they're, oh, they're the same person. You're actually living out what's being taught. You're actually living out what you're claiming and saying that you subscribe to and you follow Jesus. Your life reflects that and hypocrisy dies. And in America and in the modern church, there's hypocrisy everywhere. We've seen it for years and years and years. And authenticity in your faith, living it out at home will be hard for you. It'll be the place where it's most real. It's where the most impact can happen. And I believe it's where hypocrisy dies. And if we each, one of us, does it in our own household, in our own home, in our own community, in our own workplace, in our own sports teams, in our own organizations that we're a part of, if we all committed to that individually and then we all did it corporately, could you imagine the difference that we would make in the our Decapolis right here on the banks of the Ohio River? Could you imagine that? And so I think there's, there's more to the story here that I want to point out. This is me interpreting the Bible. This, we don't really have enough information, but it's hard for me not to think this way. If you flip over to Matthew 7, verse 31, it says, Jesus comes back to the region of the Decapolis. And he does a few miracles there, and word gets out that he's back in that area. And I bet word reaches Dan. 
And Dan goes, yo, friends, listen, that guy I've been telling you about that changed my life, he's back, come on. And I could just imagine in chapter eight, Jesus is gonna feed 4,000 people. I can just see Dan leading a group of people over a hilltop to where Jesus is. And there's just this massive people coming to Jesus because Dan is like, come see this Messiah, the, the savior of the world, the guy who saved me and all that he's done for me, he's back. And I just picture Dan walking down and giving Jesus a hug and saying, my savior and my Lord, I brought some friends, and I hope you have food. They're hungry. And so he teaches them. He does some miracles among them, and he reveals himself to them. And thousands of people came to know Jesus for who he really was. I believe it's got to be because of Dan being faithful with the call to stay home, be faithful in his hometown, share the gospel and the truth of his life with every single person he could come in contact with. And live his life in a way in which reflected the gospel. And he made a difference and he planted seeds and he put stones in people's shoes. And finally, when Jesus showed up in their life and environment, they were ready to receive it because of the work that Dan had already done. And so this is really real for me here in the Ohio Valley because I grew up just outside of the kind of the, the Ohio Valley over in Ohio a little bit. And I went to West Liberty and every person that I talked to was like, man, like you got to get the hell out of the Ohio Valley. Get out of here. There's no opportunity here for you. I get finish your schooling, whatever, but get the hell out of the Ohio Valley. And I think that's still true today. I think that's still the mantra and sign of the stereotype and, 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 a, and an agenda that's pushed in the younger generation. Get out. And I would say now, looking back, I want to call us to stay and get the hell out of the Ohio Valley. Push back the sin, push back the darkness, push back the evil, push back against political division, racial tension, homelessness, poverty, push back against all kinds of wickedness and evil, the opioid epidemic that exists in our Ohio Valley. Stay and do ministry and plant roots and go deep and live out the gospel and share your faith so that our Decapolis here on the banks of the Ohio River can be changed and we can then change the world through this place. And it starts with you doing it in your own personal life, in your home, at your workplace, on your sports teams. So you fight hypocrisy, it becomes real, it's a place of greatest impact, and we can change our Decapolis right here. We gotta stop telling people to get the hell out, and we gotta start getting the hell out of the Ohio Valley. And it takes all of us. Are you willing to do it? Let's make this place irresistible. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have us here, not by accident, but on purpose, for a purpose. I pray that you would help us see that and, and realize that and give us a, a vision and clarity and a passion to, to live authentic faith in our hometown, among our friends, among our families, in our own home, in our marriages, and in our, in our relationships with our kids and our coworkers. Father, that it would get real for us. And with that, Jesus, you would, you would begin to mend hearts and, and mend uh, pain and struggles and scars and, and cause healing and, and, and renewal. And we would be able to fight back the evil that exists in our hometown here. And we'd be the light that is just penetrating the darkness and pushing it back. And God, we could change the very nature and culture of the Ohio Valley because a group of people are so committed to loving you and following you and serving you and serving one another that we just can transform the very nature of this place. And we just ask for you to lead us and guide us. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us here at the Vineyard. 
It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.